1029 The Hog presents another Bob and Brian podcast. If you've forgotten the difference between watching a movie and experiencing one, you need to visit Marcus Theaters. Start by visiting MarcusTheaters.com. Time to talk music news. Good morning, Gary. How are you? All right. How are you guys? We're good. I feel great. After your world travels. World travels. World travels. Yes. A couple of days back in the studio. Nice break. A couple of days back. Weekend. Weekend. We're back. Yeah, we'll, we'll get serious about this again on Monday. Or okay. maybe in April. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this was your extended spring break. No, yeah. no promises. Uh, I want to start off this morning with Summerfest, the announcement. Yeah. They, they yeah. put the whole smash out this week. Always a big deal. You know, of course, it's going to take place across three weekends. Um, nice group of headliners, as usual. Eric Church, Dave Matthews Band, Odessa. Zach Bryan, Imagine Dragons, Earth, Wind, and Fire, uh, Noah Kahan, The Pretty Reckless, you know, we could, Smokey Robinson's going to be there. Uh, we could go on and on. Uh, it's just going to be another, you know, another throwdown. Uh, first weekend, June 22nd, 24th, and then the two weekends after that. And what's not to love, right? I'm still trying to get my head around it. Uh, it's a three-weekend event now and not a 10-day run like we had for 50 years at Summerfest. So it's still kind of – it'll never feel right like that to me, but it works for them. But they they did this by, you know, by way of adjusting to whatever COVID Well, there were, and plus slacking attendance. Remember, first of all, they right. closed on the 4th. And they must be doing yeah, better yeah. with the weekends uh, format. Yeah. You they, know, the whole, the whole world has followed the country model. Those guys get on the bus on Thursday. They play shows Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They go back to Nashville on Monday, you know, rest for a couple of days, play golf, write songs, record, get on the bus again, do the weekend. I would have thought that it would be easier to book bigger bands weeknights, you know, at, at Summerfest. But it, like you said, if they pick the yeah. country model and it works, yeah, co- oh, yeah, country music has kind of figured it out. They're very popular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, without without a doubt, and that and that's you know you're even seeing other genres take that model too. You know, you're more likely to see a rock band on a Tuesday night somewhere still, but some of the bigger bands, you know, Taylor Swift, for instance, is you know focus, focusing on weekends. So, I was know. in Arizona over the weekend when she did her show in Glendale. Oh, you didn't go. I did not go. <laughs> I did not, but it looked like the rest of the world was and there. You call yeah. yourself a Taylor Swift yeah, fan. Uh, no, I you don't. Know, yeah, you do. Got, got you know great you do. reviews. I mean, a three-hour show. You know, Bruce Springsteen isn't doing three hours anymore, but Taylor Swift will. I had a friend just go see Springsteen, and I think he said it was nearly a three-hour show. Like two no, and a no, half. he's down. He's down to a tidy like two twenty. I think two twenty, but he's seventy. How many years old? Well, now? Right, he's was well, seventy. What well, one? I think. Yeah. Uh, no, he's seventy-three. Anyway. He's, uh, you know, he's in his early seventies. So is the rest of the band. And you know, listen, that's a that that was that's an arduous show, even even at what we consider short. And keep in mind, he's coming off having to cancel a couple of shows because of illness. Three shows. Yeah. Uh, they, well, yeah. They um, and and you know, the presumption, of course, was it was him this time, whereas previously in the tour, other other band members. And I think that at this point, almost the entire band has gone down at one point or another. I don't think uh, Max Weinberg, the drummer, or Gary Talent, the bassist, have. Max had carpal tunnel for a while, didn't he? For a long time. Years and ago. He, he had surgeries to repair yeah. that. And he learned a, you know, he learned how to modify his drumming so that, it, you know, it would help to keep him healthy. 
but he's still a, a you know a bad mother of a drummer. It's like I mean, a, it's, you it's know, a, I I remember thinking as you know in high school, <laughs> what are all these guys going to do when they're seventy? Tour, then, yeah, tour. Nothing different. <laughs> no, it's you know nobody knew for a long time. Nobody knew just how long this rock and roll job, <laughs> the thing that gets you your ten ninety nine would you know, would continue. And yeah, we're we're looking at them in their 80s now. Usually when we talk about family infighting, uh, we're talking about the Kinks or we're talking about Oasis. Not this time. The Isley brothers are in court. Yeah, this is kind of uh, unexpected. But one Isley is suing the other over rights to the trademark of the name, the Isley brothers. Uh, Rudolph Isley, one of the originals who has since retired, is suing his brother Ronald, uh, for, you know, without consulting him or his per- his meaning Rudolph's permission, Ronald went and tried to trade, has tried to trademark the Isley Brothers name exclusively for himself. So Ronald is calling foul, or excuse me, Rudolph is calling foul, taking Ronald to court and basically saying, no, it's we, we jointly own the name the Isley Brothers as it pertains to a musical performing entity. So I have to be involved in all decisions and check off on all decisions and and still get my piece of the pie. How many Isley brothers are there? Well, there were six, well there were five performing and then I believe there are three alive. I think okay. it's, it's I think it's Ronald Rudolph and Ernie still alive. Ernie Ernie and Ronald still tour as the Isley brothers, but Rudolph, you know, has a share of the name and I would presume he gets a share of the uh of the revenues as well. I would think since he was in on the product at least. Yeah, so this is a little bit kind of like one of the things Journey recently went through when Steve Perry uh, sued and subsequently withdrawed his suit against Neil Sean and Jonathan Cain for trying to trademark the band name, images, song titles, so that they could use them on T-shirts and other memorabilia. Well, he wants his cut, too. Uh, I remember some time ago, uh, Sly Stone came up. And I don't know how it came up in conversation, but I remember you saying, well, he's a very odd character. I was being polite that day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) he's publishing his memoirs. He is. And this this comes as a surprise and perhaps shock. Um, frankly, I don't think anybody thought Sly was in any shape to do something like this. That but, might have been part of the conversation, too. Yeah, like he's come, in, o- yeah. come October 17th, uh, thank you for letting me be myself again. A memoir is going to be published with, they say, Sly sharing a firsthand account of his personal life and share anecdotes from, from his 50-year-long tenure in the music industry. Now, they're not saying whether these anecdotes include, you know, some fairly significant drug habits and some hugely self-destructive behavior that's been part and parcel of this guy's life and career, and whether he's going to get into get into that or not. Uh, the co-author, the guy who's writing it with him, is a guy named Ben Greenman, who's really good. Uh, he co-wrote George Clinton's memoir, and he did one with Brian Wilson. And, you know, he seems to be able, if you read from his previous works, he seems to be able to get a pretty balanced and revealing story out of these guys. So I'm hoping it's the case with Sly, because the guy is, he's a tremendous artist, has had a fascinating life, and so much of it we don't know the particulars well, about. I'm interested in reading the segments about when he was a DJ. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and why not? But, I mean, how many, DJ, how many DJs really go on to become rock stars? Uh, Zero. No, there's been a couple. There's really? a couple over the years. Yeah. Lightstone, Peter Wolf. B.B. Uh, King. Band. Yeah. Yeah, B.B. King. Really? Blue, his, Blues his, Boy his, King. His, That's where he got his name. Yeah. B.B. was uh, for, on the radio. That's right. Yes, it happens every now and then. So don't 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 give up hope, guys. Right. Ah. That's three Brian who we named right off the top of our head. Right. Yeah. Um Sly uh Sly wasn't in good shape obviously, but nonetheless, how if I bought a ticket to a Sly Sly and the Family Stone show, what were the odds he was going to show up uh, and do the show? It was a crapshoot, right. although to although to be fair, he showed up more than he did it. Okay. Now that may be fifty-one percent. Who's more reliable, George Jones or Sly Stone? Ooh, <laughs> ooh, talk about talk about a Solomon's decision there. Um, you know, I, I would say they are they are uh, you know brothers from a different mother. Okay, all right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, but he's I'll lasted a long to... time. I mean, you know, how long? Yeah, when did oh, they yeah. Start? And the music, the music holds up. The music is fantastic. I just yeah, yeah. I don't know that he can if he can replicate that anymore. I don't know. The last we saw of him was during that Grammy Awards uh, tribute to him when he just kind of very bizarrely walked on stage, you know, sang a couple licks and walked off. And the expressions on all the other musicians' faces were priceless. <laughs> well, we just went over how reliable is he? Well, exactly. And you said not very. But usually, people like that don't last. You know, five decades, or is it five? Well, he's, six, listen, six? he's lasting on legacy for the last 40-odd yeah. years. So. Okay. What's Nikki Six firing back at Carmen a piece for, or Carmine so, a piece for? So, well, you, well, you guys were, um, you know, we're off last week relaxing. Um, you know, Rock and I were talking about Carmen a piece taking, Apache, sorry, taking the Motley crew apart, kind of as an advocate for Mick Mars, but I guess they're buddies. And he was he was on doing some interview where he talked about how yeah there were you know the, things were not good between Mick and the band during the stadium tour last year. Mick was very frustrated because everything's on tape and Mick's a real player this and that. And he really just kind of you know opened the whole can of worms about what was going on with Motley Crue. So in response, Nicky Six fired back on Twitter. He said a washed up drummer speaking for our band without any facts is as ridiculous as the bottom feeder media running with stories without fact checking. (laughs) When you hear the truth, it'll be from us. So that's what Nikki had to say about it. Ignoring somewhat the fact that the, whatever bottom feeding media did that probably did reach out for comment. Well, these guys are not, these guys are not easy to get to. Let's do a little fact checking. Let's do a little fact checking here on, uh, on Motley Crue. Is Carmine a piece of washed up drummer? Um, I don't think he's washed up. In fact, Carmen responded to Nikki's tweet saying, at least this washed-up drummer can play his instrument well, who has pioneered heavy rock drumming and can educate others around the world on his instrument. So slapping a little at Tommy Lee and Motley Crue. Um, for, you know, listen, it's no secret that these guys use, certainly use enhancements, you know, and they're hardly the only band that does that on stage. It, it just felt like to many observers... Um, and people who were attending these shows that the machine was running the show rather than than the people. Well, it is a show. I always go back to that. And do you want to be entertained or do you not want to be entertained at the show, right? Yeah. Uh, This is a great argument. You know, do you 
do you want, first of all, do you go to a Lady Gaga show just to, or a Janet Jackson show just to see them at the microphone or the piano singing their songs? And no, you want the big song and dance extravaganza. And you, you want all that, and that requires some degree of enhancement if they're going to pull that off credibly. And in response to that, the rock bands have been doing it, you know, and then to, you know, to, to work within the confines of the light shows they're doing and the spectacles they're putting on. You're, at the very least, they're playing to what's called a click track, which is, you know, something in the drummer's ear that makes sure everything stays in its correct time so that, so that all the effects are in sync with what's mm-hmm. being played on stage or vice versa. You know, it's a big argument and a big topic. I mean, there was there was a time in Congress when they were when they were considering you know legislation to require bands, certainly bands that were or artists shouldn't, shouldn't limit it to the bands, to require acts that were lip syncing or playing any kind of recording to reveal that. Yeah, well, got cracked for that in Michigan, right? Years yeah. ago, they were like yeah, the first band. Yeah. Rob yeah. and Fab should get their Grammy back. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they should have because the no? Grammy. Well, no, you know, obviously you're joking, but but the Grammy. Let's remember the Grammys are for recording achievement. All right, not uh, for performing achievement. Speaking of legislation, we should uh, we should talk one quick thing about okay. Nicky Six. Yeah, uh, he is also the latest artist to be added to Dolly Parton's rock album. Nicky Six. Nikki Six. He's playing bass really? on it. Uh, he's joining Elton John, Pink, Brandy Carlisle, Paul McCartney, Stevie Nicks, John Fogarty, Steve Perry, Stephen Tyler, and Cher on the guest list. And now we can add Nikki. Nikki. That woman uh, has the biggest heart in the world. Isn't it great? Isn't she it? really does. I mean, I she, hope this is she drags that washed up, overweight. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, she'll have Carmen Apice on the album. We had a yeah, we had a friend tell us that, the two of them in the same rhythm section. We had a friend tell us over the last week that uh, Nikki Six couldn't sing his way out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> well, Nikki's not a singer. I mean, you know, he's and I, I think he can. I, I'm sure he can still play bass. Okay. Fine. All right. All right. You know, I will say I will say that. All right. On the legislation, the US yeah. government's getting involved. Yeah, as we expected them to. So they had the hearings about Ticketmaster and the the brouhaha over Taylor Swift and, and other concert pre sales. So uh two two representatives excuse me, two senators, um, Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut and Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island have introduced the junk junk fee pre, pre, excuse me the Junk Fee Prevention Act into, you know, which is legislation, and it doesn't just pertain to music, but it's basically going to require any event, sporting event, art exhibit, uh, musical theater, and, of course, concerts. All fees have to be revealed at the time the ticket sale is announced. So no more of this, if they have their way and it passes, no more of this going on to Ticketmaster and... You know, you buy the ticket at the value it says, and then when you go to check out, you've had another 10, 20, 30 percent worth of fees stuck on your ticket. Uh, if you're legis- lucky, it's only 10, 20, or 30 percent. Yeah, 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 it's being a little charitable there. But no, this legislation would require the, the full actual cost of the ticket to be, you know, to be revealed at the time they go on sale. Well, Let's just take this down to the consumer level. Let's say you went to Menards and you were buying a screen door, uh-huh. 
and you get to the counter and it said $100 on the screen door mm-hmm. on the shelf and you go to the checkout and they go, yeah, it's $210. Right. There's a stocking, what do you mean? There's a stocking fee. Right. There's a well, we have hidden fee. We have hidden fees. That right. store would go out of business. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody would go part of That is part of, you know, interesting that you say that. That was part of, as the, the senators were talking about their rationale, that was one of the examples they used, not Menards specifically, but that, yeah, if you went to a, shore, a store and suddenly the price of the product that was on the shelf doubled at the checkout counter... <laughs> You go, you did know. I grab the wrong one? Isn't this the door that was one hundred dollars? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So so you know it's I think it's a good piece of legislation. I don't see why it wouldn't have bipartisan support. There will be discussions about, you know, business, freedom of business operations, this and that. But to me this seems a no brainer. You're gonna you're gonna sell a product, tell us what the actual price of it is. Yeah, I don't really have a problem with that. I just I feel like whoever this uh this law is short circuiting they'll start on new ways to try to sure oh, there'll always be a worker add a fee on there i am all for shutting down tiktok and not having hidden fees on concert tickets Fair i enough. i will i will back Fair my enough. government on and that none of one. us none of us can dance well enough to be on tiktok <laughs> so that wouldn't matter much to, to the three of us at least <laughs> You've never seen me dance. Chinese don't care how you dance. Okay, I was I was making an assumption there based on me. But you were you you, you were right. Um, so yeah. Is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame sexist? I don't know if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is necessarily sexist at its core, but this this week two very prominent uh, female performers, Courtney Love and Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders took it to task in in public postings, you know, noting that, you know, it's something like 6% of the rocket the membership is female and, you know, and then you know, it gets even lower when you're talking about women of women of color and, you know, both of them lambasting it. Chris Chrissy who very happily accepted a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction uh, you know, in in 2005, you know, say, Saying, you know, basically both of them saying that it's it's a lot of bollocks the whole thing anyway, but it's it's even more egregious that it it has not fairly or accurately represented uh, the role of women in music, you know, and they have a they have a point, you know, without a doubt. I mean, there are quite a few women who have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Should there be more? Probably, um, and you know, it's it never hurts an organization like that to have a shot fired across the bow and a little bit of a slap upside the head uh, for reality check. Well, Pat, Pat Benatar would, would agree Pat with you. Pat finally got in, you know, hearts in. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the very, a lot of the most important um, female artists are in. Listen, rock and roll, popular music has been a sexist industry. You know, even the way they, they treated for many years the, the divas you know, like Madonna and Shakira and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera at the beginning of their careers, they were not treated well or equitably. You know, some of them, some of them came to a point where they could take control over their, their careers and their business and, you know, now are all the better for it. But certainly women have not been treated particularly well within the industry. Yeah, DJs didn't help on that either. I watched Pat Benatar talk about going into studios and DJs just hitting on him and oh, saying yeah. all that stuff. So DJs didn't help a, either. 
It was a sleazy business. Um, what do you mean I'm was? What do you I'm mean was? I was getting to the next part of that <laughs> sentence. Um, I'm not saying it's not now. It's a little less sleazy and more transparent <laughs> than it was. Than it was. And speaking of that, if a, a quick film recommendation opening next week, so we can mention it again. This new feature called Spinning Gold which is the story of Casablanca Records, uh, famously the home to Kiss, but also the label that really broke disco in the United States during the 70s. If you want to see a good good examples of the sleeves of the music industry, it's all over that topic. <laughs> More? Who, who was okay. the president? Who owned that Neil label? Bo- Neil Bogart. Neil Bogart. And he was a real douche, wasn't he? Um, or was the label probably, just... It was the Times. Um, okay. He was a visionary. Um, before before he got to Casablanca, in fact, he he was at Buddha Records, and he was the guy who brought us. Speaking of the Isley Brothers, it's your thing, and Gladys Knight, Midnight Train to Georgia. You know, he was a you know a very had great ears and a really good marketer and promoter. And he took Casablanca from like seven million dollars in debt into the the biggest independent record label. Ever and what's the name of the documentary? It's called Spinning Gold. Spinning Gold. What's it on? And it's a bio. It's not a documentary. It's a oh, biopic. Okay. What's it's, um? Yeah, and it was made by one of his sons, and uh, it's entertaining. You know, it's a little long, but it's it is entertaining, and there are some really good portrayals of the artist. Hey, I sat through Yacht Rock. I can make it through. Yeah, probably Spinning Gold. I'm sure. Gary, we're out of time. All right. Well, listen. You guys have a great weekend. All hope right. Your bra- hope your brackets aren't aren't in t- too bad a shape. There are no brackets left I'm, I'm for me. Done. Yeah, I'm, d- I'm done. Totally destroyed. <laughs> yeah. So I mean. All right. Well, have a great weekend. All right, Gary. See we'll talk guys. to you Thanks. next Friday. Take care. Gary Graff, our music expert.